0: This morning, I'm so grateful to, uh, well, I'll confess first that uh, I was enjoying the tent outside so much that I almost was late for the church service today. So after the first service, what we're doing in between the services is taking off masks, hanging out, getting a chance to see your smiles again, and to reconnect together. And it's actually delightful. So I'd love to invite you to do that. So don't just sign up for what Linda's sharing. Um, but uh, when Linda shared that, I just want to thank you, Linda, for what you just shared. And couple months ago, I think I found myself just looking at closed doors and wondering what ministry was going to look like going forward. And it's actually that testimony of a door closed, but that the Lord was still doing his work in front of us that we continue to get to be a part of that was encouraging to me. So this morning, I hope you join me in that prayer as we dedicate this time to the Lord, that the Lord would give us eyes to see the opportunities that he's opened around us. Lord, we love you and just want to thank you, Lord, as Pastor Jim mentioned it, just a glorious morning, the, the seasons kind of unfolding around us. I think of the words in Lamentations chapter 3 that say, The Lord's unfailing love and mercy still continue, fresh as the morning, as sure as the sunrise. So Lord, we take for granted the fact that your handiwork is constantly allowing the seasons to pan out, your creation to work out in front of us. And and Lord, I'm grateful for the fact that it is evidence of your provision for us. You have opened and you have closed. And Lord, at this moment, we want to celebrate your goodness and your provision for us. In our church family, we recognize that there are members of our church family that are mourning this week. Uh, Our hearts cry out on behalf of Sherry and the Mohorsic family that are in mourning over the loss of Don. And as they prepare this morning uh, for his funeral, unexpectedly passing away this last Saturday and the funeral today, this afternoon, the calling hours from two to four, and then the funeral at four. Lord, I just pray for Don's daughters and for the family as they mourn the loss of, of this wonderful man. We also think of Meg Kenyon, as she and the family are traveling or will be traveling down to Texas to mourn the loss of her grandmother. Lord, we pray for your comfort and peace to be upon them. And this morning, as we're reminded of the reality of death, Lord, we also thank you for the promise of the ability for those who place their faith and trust in you to anticipate a homecoming, a graduation into your presence. And so this morning as we we weep, we weep because of our loss, but we also celebrate, Lord, your provision, your goodness, your knowledge of us that's good. And Lord, I want to thank you that your love endures forever. Lord, on this morning, we do not take this privilege for granted. We love you. We pray for our country. We pray for the needs of those who are around us. I want to thank you, as, as Linda shared, this testimony for those who have chosen to see their time and their energy as as an investment, that they're worthy to invest into your kingdom, into these precious little lives. I thank you for the stories that came out of yesterday from some friends here in Brunswick, where they've chosen to not just be surrounded by neighbors, but that they've intended to pursue their neighbors that are around them with the love of Christ. And Lord, we just pray that we'd live up to our namesake. Lord, we ask that today as we study your word, That your name would be lifted high. I ask that you would be glorified at Hope Church on this day. And so, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the seasons that surround us. And we just ask that as we continue to study your unstoppable work as it was recorded in history, Lord, that it would be your story panning out in front of us. Lord, we love you in Jesus' precious and holy name and all God's people said, amen. So I I love uh, Tolkien. I love this title, There and Back Again. And this morning, as we study God's word together, we're gonna look at what is historically known as Paul's first missionary journey. And as we look at this story, I I wanna remind you of the fact that God's gonna take these two men, started off as three, on an adventure that's going to see God's handiwork at each step of the way. And, And I wanna encourage you, as we study this together, that it's going to be with direct opposition. They're going to have challenges. They're going to get knocked down. But like the old Irish song says, they're going to get knocked down, but they're going to get back up again. You're not going to ever be able to keep them down. Are you glad I didn't sing it today? Uh, Some of you wish I would, right? That they're going to be knocked down over and over again. But the Lord who is leading them through this journey together is going to do something that I hope you and I can learn from together today. And that is our God is our sustainer, that he understands our needs. In this phrase that we are people who take the next right step, we're going to see these men go through this time period where they will have been devastated, at one point even left for dead. And yet God is going to continue to prove himself faithful. And for some of you, as you walked in this morning, you're looking at life and you're saying, what is next for me? We, we mentioned earlier that there's people in our church family this week that are mourning, asking the Lord to sustain them. And tomorrow has its own worries. It's overwhelming. But this morning, we want to celebrate the fact that God is good, that he knows our needs. He knows our tomorrow. He hasn't forgotten us and the part of that journey is going to require us to be people who are willing to trust his leadership. There was a group of students that had to do that with me in Southern California when I was a youth pastor, where we did one of my favorite things that I've ever had the privilege of doing, and that was taking a group of students from the top of the Grand Canyon to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and then thankfully we got them all out again. And um, there's, there's kind of three rules when you do this. We did this several times, but the first rule about going into the Grand Canyon— is that you want to make sure that you don 't miss the beauty around you, and I can just remember we 'd go very early on one side of the rim, we would start the hike, and it 'd be pitch dark it was cool outside on purpose but Then the second rule came to the surface and that is to not die. And the reason why you know this is because you have to get a permit to go to the bottom near Phantom Ranch where we were hiking and they send you this video and this video is not encouraging at all. You could tell it was kind of one of like an old VHS that they had made years ago and then they converted it into a DVD. You're supposed to watch this and in this it tells you how many people die each year doing this and it warns you about depending on water source that are um, protected or it warns you about how to make sure that you're safe. But the biggest warning they give you is that most people may not know this, but when it comes to the Grand Canyon, the temperature inside of the canyon is 20 to 30 degrees hotter than it is on on the surface. And so on the day that I happened to take a team to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, it was over 100 degrees above the canyon. And so as you're hiking down and each step you're looking around, you're in awe of the beauty that's around you. But then you also recognize the third rule and that is what goes down, must come up, right? That you're the person who's going to be carrying yourself up that mountain. So every step of the way, you're asking yourself, can I do this? Now, as a person who's led groups of teams to do hiking, one of the things that we had done before was that we'd hike mountains. And often what happens when you hike a mountain is that somebody will get to a certain point and they'll say, this is too hard. They'll give up and they'll want to head back down. But what's great about going into the Grand Canyon is pretty easy strolling in, you know? And then you realize you have to get yourself back out. This morning, for some of us, as we watch this story unfold in these two chapters in the book of Acts, we are going to see examples where it was so difficult that at least one of their company wanted to give up. He did, he he checked out, he was done. And and as we watch this unfold, we're going to see these disciples go through experience after experience of getting knocked down. And it reminded me this past week, a great friend of mine, he and I were talking. and He said, Sean, right now in my life, it just feels like I get to a point where I'm up on my feet again, and then I just get knocked down again. And I'm guessing for some of us, we feel that way. This has been a painful season for us. But as we watch this, what we're going to see as we study this together is that God has not forgotten his people, that he hasn't neglected his people, even when it's going to feel that way. If you have your Bibles, turn with me in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. We're going to pick up this story in chapter 13, beginning in verse verse 1. And I want to remind you of this over and over again. God is on the move. You and I have the privilege to be able to join him. Look at this in the text. Now, there were in the church at Antioch. Prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who were called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, and I want to pause there for a second. This is incredible. What we're going to see in the text, kind of like last week, is that God is going to uniquely speak to his people and communicate his will while people are seeking him. And in this case, they're seeking him. They're fasting. And and by the way, those names that we saw, friends of of important people, that this is a multi-ethnic group of people that God's using to establish this church in Antioch. It would have been an incredible church. And God was on the move in Antioch because of the necessity for them to leave Jerusalem. So here they were already in distress. God built this church in a beautiful way in its complexity. And now what's going to happen is he's going to take this group of people who are moving towards him and he's going to direct them where he wants them to go. It's the first point this morning that's going to flow out of the text. By the way, this is how God loves to work. I believe he loves to take people who are seeking him and pursuing him, like in this case, Paul and Barnabas, and he's going to take them and he's going to redirect them in the direction that he wants them to go. And here, this direction is going to be to set on on a journey that we would know after the fact that's going to take over a year and a half. But for them right now, they don't know how long this is going to go. In fact, all they know from what we can tell is that God has said go. And when God said go... What they choose to do is they say, "All right, I'm in." So when God re- says, when we see this this first point this morning in the text, what we get to see is we get to see a group of people who are obedient to the Lord that had called them on his mission. I'd like to show you a map of where we're going to be heading today. We're going to kind of take a satellite view of this first missionary journey. And there's going to be parts of this that are going to be kind of counterintuitive. It's not going to make sense, but it's going to be the handiwork of God as it played out in history. So here, this church was located at Antioch. You can see it circled there, with the, the green circle around it. And and, and there was this, this great moment for our own family where we were kind of on the front of our time when we ministered in the Bahamas, where we had everything in this pickup truck. And my dad had just prayed this great par- prayer of blessing over the family. It was like really intense. And then the, the starter didn't work in the truck. So we had to get it towed with all our stuff in the back of it. I remember seeing it up on the jacks, you know, and they're working to fix the starter. And we took off the brakes, went out on that journey. All kinds of things happened. For us, and, and in some ways, this is what we see happen with the disciples they in their first moment of this journey, it actually starts off really quite unexciting in verse four, it says this um, that basically shows us that they were ignored in their first set of this. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Now, this is John Mark. We heard about him, his home last week. John Mark, a man who's gonna be infamous for the fact that he was a part of this group, but he's going to abandon these guys. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. If we go back to the map and kind of show you where they went, as they, they traveled down from Antioch to Seleucia, Salamis to Paphos, what you notice in the text is actually what you don't see in the text. And that is, there's, there's nothing to report. This was a time period that was probably like some of our missionaries that are serving in countries like Japan where they invest intensely, but they don't see a lot of fruit that comes out of it immediately. Churches are small there. They're working really hard. Here, this first moment would have been a time that we understand as being one where really, biblically, there was not much to report. But just because of the fact that there was little fruit, it doesn't mean that God wasn't working in and through them. And then what we see coming up here in chapter 13, at the end of verse 6, we get to see this Attack that happens. So here, they are under attack. But God was victorious in the midst of it. In chapter um, chapter thirteen, verse seven, it says this: He was with the proconsul. This this name Sergius Paulus was the highest-ranking official in a Roman senatorial province. He was a really important man. And he's here. This man has come to hear the gospel. He was a man of intelligence, is what the text says, who summoned Barnabas and Saul. Then he sought to hear the word of God. So here he is, a man of great influence. He reaches out to Saul and to Paul and to Barnabas to hear to hear this message of hope. And then we see a man who enters in who's going to attempt to stand in the way of the gospel. This man, we believe, was demonized. This man was a, a man who was even though he um, knew the truth that was surrounding him, he was a man who stood in direct opposition of the gospel. It says this, um, it says, but Elymas, a magician, or Elymas, the magician, for this is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He, he, his job, what he's intending to do is to distract from the truth of the gospel. I love how Saul responds to it. Saul who is also called Paul, just a, a quick side note here. This, we kind of misunderstand the way his, word, his name is used, that um, now he's working in Gentile territory, and so the Hebrew word Saul now becomes known by his Roman name, Paul. So here, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked intently at this man who was attempting to oppose the gospel, this magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And here, what it says is, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? This man was doing something that was appalling to them. He he was attempting to get in the way of the gospel. Some of you might recognize this, this, street. It's in San Francisco. It's the famous Lombard Street. And um, if you go there, and you know that part of the reason why it's there is because there's serious elevation, but it's designed to slow you down. Now, this next r- picture is of the autobahn. Some of you may know that that a uh, streetcar um, was clocked on the autobahn because of its straight, straight, and um, no speed limits. Two hundred and sixty-seven miles per hour on the autobahn—that's impressive. I think all of my cars would fall apart at about one fifty. Did you guys hear the story uh, that came out a couple weeks ago of an 8-year-old German boy who borrowed his mom's car, and they clocked him at 90 miles per hour going down the Autobahn, and uh, his quote afterwards was that he just wanted to get out of the house, (laughs) so (laughs) some of you kids can relate to that, don't get any good ideas there, bad ideas, you know? the reason why you can get to that speed is because it's straight, right? You could never do that on that crooked road in California. The reason is because it's straight. And here this description that the Apostle Paul is describing is he says that there's some people who are willing to attempt to get in the way of the gospel, to attempt to, to choose to redirect and move. Some, some of us don't understand right now that there is a spiritual battle that wages around us. I, I believe there's a spiritual battle that wages, and you come into church this morning, actually. Some of us, we stand back and we say, why is it so hard to get to church? Why is it that my husband and I fight more on the way to church than we do anywhere else? Uh, you, we, can, we can talk about that for a while, but to say, To recognize that there's a force of evil that doesn't want you to experience what God has for you. He wants to distract, he wants to steal away, he wants to make crooked what the Lord wants to do in your life, and that is something that leads you on the path of moving forward according to his will. So, here, what Paul does in his not so subtle way is he's blunt, he's direct, and he communicates this truth to this man. Who is attempting to get in the way of the gospel? It says this in verse 11. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, this is great, then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teachings of the Lord. It wasn't the teachings of Paul. He understood that this was God's word that was being taught. He understood the voice of God. Now, did you catch this other man who was attempting to stand in the way of the gospel? That what Paul actually did was he he made on the outside what was really happening to this man on the inside. He was a man who was living in darkness and he allowed the outside to, to look the same way as to what was happening inside his heart. He allowed him to not see the simple truth that was in front of him. But praise the Lord, this proconsul was a man who listened to it. He was a smart man, according to the text. Wouldn't that be great to be described that way in scripture? He was a smart man. Here, he is described as being smart because of the fact that he listened to this message. In this context, you find yourself so encouraged. But then the next chapter of the story comes up. And here, what we see is that Paul and his companions in verse 13 are going to set sail for Paphos, and they come to Perga and Pamphylia, and then it says the sentence, which to you and I, it might not mean that much to us, but to those men that day, it meant a ton to them. It says this, and John left them, and we returned to Jerusalem. I have no idea why he did that. We don't understand this from the text, but what we do know is elsewhere, when The apostle Paul describes this event in history. This was really discouraging to him. He was frustrated with this abandonment. And here, what we see is that the going got too tough. It was too difficult. It wasn't, there was time for him to tap out, whether he got sick, whether it was discouraging. We don't know why, but what we do know is that they were left abandoned. They, They went from a party of three to a party of two. I remember when we went to Liberia with students to West Africa, one of the things that we experienced as we arrived in the airport was that there were a group, there was an American team that had gone and they were supposed to be ministering in Liberia for two weeks and they greeted us. They were going to be boarding the plane because they had only been there for a few days and what they said was it was too difficult for them. That they were too, it was too hard for them and that they were getting on the plane to go home. Now, you talk about discouraging welcome, you know, to a new place where God's calling you to minister to, but, but I, I don't know their story. I'm not to judge them, but I just want to point out, like, what happened to this man was that it, it got too difficult. He gave up. And for some of us, I think that's what we're doing today. I actually think for some of us, we're choosing to look at the, what's ahead, and we're choosing to worry about it in such a way that we're just saying, it's too much. I'm, I'm ready to be done. I'm going to give up. And I want you to notice as we study this story, as it pans out, that he's just going to miss out on getting to see God's mighty hand at work. He's going to miss out on seeing God do a miraculous thing or two or three or four or five. And here, John Mark in his disobedience and his fear, we don't know why, but he gives up and he moves on. And then what we see is the disciples, though, they carry on. In fact, this next section in verse 14 is incredible. It says, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And now this is helpful for us to use scripture, to interpret scripture, to understand what was happening here is that we know from elsewhere that at this point they got sick. At least Paul got sick. And the assumption is that it was some form of a malaria. He moves up into a part um, that it 's a little bit confusing because they use the term antioch, but it 's a different city of Antioch and the Northwest area from there and what 's going to happen is that they 're going to go to a place they 're sick um, they 're probably avoiding this sickness, and what god 's going to do through them is he 's going to plant a church through them it says and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. This was their pattern. Go in the synagogue first. Later, preach to the Gentiles. And they said, do you have any encouragement? They, they absolutely have a message of encouragement. This map is a little helpful if we look at it to kind of get a sense of where they're at. They've come down. They've gone through Salamis, Paphos, Perga. Uh, now they're going all the way up to that Antioch that's at the top, and here what we see then is that God's going to work in this in a mighty way at this time. They're going to end up planting the church that we know of the church of Galatia. We're going to see in Galatians four thirteen that there was a weakness of Paul in his flesh that led them to move to this place. And then he's going to preach a message. And I don't have time to read all of the verses of this message, but it's really an encouraging message. Paul's message is going to be one that's going to summarize the gospel down to one word that's really a significant one. And it's a word that might not make sense to many of us, but it's really the truth. The gospel, according to Paul, is all about freedom. That the gospel sets us free. And what he does in the first few verses of this sermon in Acts chapter 13, verses 16 through 25, is he contextualizes the gospel in their lives. He shares how in history, God was at work on their behalf as the Jewish, Jewish people, and that there was this message of hope that's presented to them in their own story. And then he goes on to clarify the gospel as being the source of their living hope. And it's incredible to see in verse 39, the way he describes it, it says, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Isn't that great? That statement is describing the gospel as freedom. Earlier, it's described as freedom. But then what Paul does, and this is an important part of the presentation of the gospel here, is he gives them a warning. The warning is you need to take this seriously. Literally in the text it says, "Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about." In other words, what Scripture warned us about—that this is your story, you scoffers—you're astounded, you're overwhelmed by this truth, and then you die. In other words, you've seen it, you've heard it, but you ignore it. So Paul preaches this message of freedom. They they choose to um, they choose to receive it. Many of them that heard it in such a way that the way it's described in verse 44 is really encouraging. It says, The next Sabbath, almost the entire city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So here they gather around people, bring their friends. You got to hear this message of hope. They understood it as a message from God for them. And then in verse 48, it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It's a great phrase. God was Working in these people's lives. Verse 49 And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the entire region, the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. They get knocked down again. They, they see God's hand at work, they get knocked down again. But it doesn't keep them down, right? They get back up. They keep moving forward. Verse 51 says, But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Now Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. They get knocked down. They get back up again. They continue to see God's hand at work. And then chapter 14, verse 5 when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it. And they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding county. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So here, they hear about a potential stoning. They, they, they hear of this threat and they flee about 20 miles southwest of Iconium to its surrounding city. So again, we see it on the map that they're continuing to move. They've continued to be mistreated. And yet, in their misunderstanding, God is lifted high. Now, when they arrive in Lystra, what happens is is quite a tragedy. The disciples are sharing the gospel. They're presenting this message of hope. And people do something that we've seen elsewhere in Acts. The people wanted to worship them. So they misunderstood the messenger with the message and what they choose to do is they actually literally are starting to sacrifice animals like they would to Zeus. The priest of Zeus does this. In summary over these next several verses, coming down to um, chapter, um, chapter 14 and verse, uh, verse 15, it says this. This is how Paul and Barnabas responded. They didn't receive that worship like Herod did. But in verse 15, it says this, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should not that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them so they go on to describe this truth it's a, a powerful moment and those people who are at one moment wanting to worship them as as the jewish community from from Antioch comes in they actually turn like they did on the lord Jesus Christ and they ultimately attempt to Crucify or to stone them to death. And we see this now tragically in verse 19. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. That kind of persecution is incredible. Can you imagine the discouragement of that moment? Barnabas watching Paul go through this, this horrific moment. But what's great about the text is it says, but when the disciples gathered about him, they're, they're standing around him, he raises up and he enters into the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Do you get this? He was left for dead. And then God raises him in this, in this moment where it looked like he was done for. And, and again, he gets back up and he's back on mission. Have you guys seen this pattern? Get knocked down, get back up again. You can't keep them down. The reason why this is so important for us to take this satellite view of is that it's helpful for us to understand that God's never forgotten them, that he's always been providing for them their needs, and that each opposition is a chance to bring glory and honor to the Lord. Do you guys remember that they were ignored originally, and then they find their voice. They were attacked, but God was victorious. They were abandoned, and God remained faithful. They got sick, and they planted a church. They were confronted, and God defended them. They were misunderstood and God was exalted. They were left for dead and God sustained them. So encouraging to me to watch this. And then what we see, and this is really a powerful part of this, is that they stayed on mission in the midst of all of this transition. in these things that that John Mark would have missed out on at this moment in history they get to see God's mighty hand at work. So they, they come to this point in history where if you know that geography of that region and Derby, there's this little distance between there to head back to Antioch. And so you watch this journey as they travel around from Seleucia, Seleucia to Salamis to Paphos, as they go up around an Iconium to Derby, in between those two places would be this little area called Tarsus. It was a coastal town. Uh, we know Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus, right? This is his hometown. He knows this area well. And this was going to be, if you were the person who was their tour guide, uh, you would expect that that was the journey that God had them on. But instead, what God chooses to do is something that's so counterintuitive that it just sounds like God, is that he's going to actually send them back to all of those places that they had been, at least those before they were on Cyprus. And, and so they're going to go back to, do you guys remember what happened? They're going to go back to the place where he was stoned and left for dead. They're going to go back to the place where he got sick. They're going to go back to the place where he was abandoned. And yet they're going to establish leaders. God's going to continue to be on the move. And so, yes, you'd fire your tour guide if they did this to you, right? If this was the itinerary. But here, what God is choosing to do is he's choosing to say, do you trust me? We got this. Do you trust me? We got this. Do you trust me? This is going to be an adventure, but we got this. And in fact, they not only obeyed the Lord, but they received what the text says is commendation from the Lord for their faithfulness. It says this in verse 21. When they preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they then returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Saying that through many tribulations, boy, they've been through many tribulations, haven't they? For some people, many tribulations is an excuse to justify giving up. Many tribulations is an excuse to say, this is too hard for me. This is cost too much. I don't, I don't want this anymore. But what they do from that is it, it says that they, they um, end up appointing leaders. They, they pray, they fast. So we started with prayer and fasting. They're going to end with prayer and fasting here. And then the, they committed them to the Lord whom they believed. And then in verse 24, it says this, then they passed through Pisidia, and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word to Perga, they went down to Attilia, And from there they sailed to Antioch. And when they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So now at the end of this, the Lord is honoring this investment that they've done on his behalf. That they're lifted high, this well done, good and faithful servants. And it ended up being a year and a half of their lives that we just watched unfold. This would have been a very difficult, can you imagine the photo album of that? If you could uh, put together the photo book of what they'd experienced, left for dead, abandoned, discouraged, but also they saw the Lord at work. They got a front row seat to experience it. And I, I grieve when I read this, that, that John Mark would have been a man who got to, who just missed out on that. Like that, That in his early exit, he missed out on what God was going to do through these men. Verse 27. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. I love how Linda started off this morning challenging us to think about how God is still opening doors, right? These, These disciples saw that God was opening a door for a group of people that desperately needed to hear the truth of the gospel. I like this phrase, God's at work, we're invited to join in it. So the question for you is, what is holding you back? If you go to the Grand Canyon today, I'm told that you can walk on this glass bridge. Some of you are like, I'm totally in. But the glass bridge is designed in such a way that you can kind of look down and see what it would feel like if you're standing. What's holding you back there is not much, right? It's some panes of glass. But here for some of us, there's, there's things that are tangible that are holding us back from getting to experience what God's asking of us. And I think if we're choosing to not join him in what he's doing, I just really think that we're missing out. It's really what I think. I think that we're missing out on what God wants to do in and through us. And for these men, Paul and Barnabas, what we get to see as this has panned out is that they were individuals who chose to understand that God was on the move And they get to join him in what he's doing. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the way that you work in and through us. Lord, we thank you that in this time in history, that there was a movement that you were doing, that you chose to give these men a front row seat into what you were going to do to advance the truth of the gospel. And I pray for each one of us today that we would be people that are not only aware of your voice and your calling, but that we would be people who are willing to obey your leadership in such a way that we get to experience what it means for us to get to see your mighty hand at work. These guys got it. I pray for those of us who are choosing to live in in a form of fear that has paralyzed us, that's chosen to allow us to step away from those open doors that you've given us. And I just pray, Lord, against that in our lives, that we would not allow the deceiver to be the one that holds us back from experiencing what you want to do in and through us. Lord, we think of that image of the crooked paths versus the the super highway. And, and I just ask for each one of us that we would be people who understand what it means to open that highway up for the gospel for the sake of those who have yet to experience it. And I lo- I pray, Lord, for the group of people that are here today, that for some of them, this simple message of hope is what they desperately need to hear. That the God that was willing to send his best and brightest, these men who loved him and obeyed him, that he was doing so because of the fact that he loved those who had yet to hear the truth of the gospel, that he was willing to put them in harm's way for the sake of his reputation and for his glory. And so for each person that's here, I just pray for them right now that they would be reminded of the fact that you love them, Lord, that you're working on their behalf, that you have chosen to pursue them. And we ask, Lord, today that this message of hope, this message of, as you, as Paul put it, a message of freedom would be something that really, truly does set them free. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. And as we close this service out in worship, we pray that your name would be lifted high. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.